Amen. And so as we do that and as we gather our offerings, um, we uh, just want to kind of get us caught up about where we are. We're going to open our Bibles in just a minute uh, to Genesis chapter 1. So you can start looking there if you want. Just a hint, Genesis uh, is at the beginning of the Bible. It's the first book. And Genesis chapter 1, guess what, is the very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible. Uh, And so it talks about beginnings. And so you can get there if you want. Of course, our scriptures today will be up on the screen as always. Um, But what we're we're looking at today, and I'll kind of give us an overview of where we've been, if you haven't been with us for a while, or just it's good to always get caught up. But uh, today we are looking at that area of theology called anthropology. Anthropology. And anthropology is the study of ants. Is that right? No, I'm just... It's one of those goofy dad jokes, I guess. I don't know. But it's the study of humans. It's the study of, of, of humankind, all right, of humanity. That's what anthropology is. And yes, anthropology is part of systematic Christian theology. So really, we would call it like Christian anthropology. So what we're going to look at today is um, what does it mean to be created by God in his image? All right, so that's what we're going to look at today. So let me just kind of get us caught up about where we are. And so we are going through a sermon series, and it is called Epic. And here is why it's called Epic. Because the story of the Bible is an epic story. It means it's big and it's grand, okay? It is huge. It is the greatest story ever told. But yet we have to know what it means and what it says from beginning to end. And it's not just a random collection of books. But there is an order to it. And if you read it from Genesis to Revelation, you will see there is a grand epic story that unfolds. It is God's story. And so what we're doing is we are actually looking at the whole story of God, but we're doing it in a unique way. From November through the rest of this month, it'll carry us to the end of the year. We are looking at what's called systematic theology or different issues in our study of God, because theology means the study of God, basically. But we're looking at it, okay? We're looking at all these different aspects of God and the study of God and the story of God, but we're doing it as revealed in the greatest story ever told. So I think it's sort of an interesting uh, and unique way to look at something that some people can think is dry, like theology and all these big words. But in essence, as Christians, do you know that we're all supposed to be theologians? Yes, you can go home today and say, the pastor said, I'm a theologian, right? But why? Because theology means the study of God. And aren't we supposed to study the one who made us? Yes, and so that's kind of what we're looking at today. And so in our study of essential theological uh, issues of the Christian faith, we are doing it in the context of the greatest story ever told. And so we started with the Bible because that's where we get our story from. So if we're going to look at a story, we have to see its source. So we looked at the Bible. Why does it mean, what does it mean that it's inspired, that it's an inerrant? What do we mean by that? Why do we have 66 books? Who wrote them and why? And all of that kind of thing. That's what we started. So we started with the source of the story. And then, of course, we had to, to introduce ourselves to some of the main characters in our story. And the first and foremost one is God himself. God the Father. And so we looked at God the Father and all of his attributes. Many of that? Remember that? All different attributes of God, that God is omniscient, right, all-knowing, and that he is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and all those. And then, of course, after that, we know we would have gotten to God the Son, but we're waiting 
to, to, to introduce Jesus, the most important character in the whole story. We're going to do that on December 22nd. That's the Sunday right before Christmas. That makes sense? So when we look at with that character. So if we're kind of skipping over Jesus for a moment, if I can say it that way. Then we talked about the Holy Spirit. And we looked at what does the Holy Spirit do? So who is he and what does he do? And we realized that we cannot live, church, we can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was better for him to go back to the Father so that he could leave us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God. It illuminates the truth as we read it. The Holy Spirit within believers helps us to understand it. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, lives within each believer. So at that moment of salvation, the moment that you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and in him alone, at that moment, the Bible says you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and he never leaves you, right? And so he is there for us to allow to lead us and guide us. Now, he doesn't do it automatically. That's where obedience comes in. When we are obedient and faithful and trusting God, then we are allowing the Holy Spirit to do his thing. That is our power to live the victorious Christian life that is the Holy Spirit. So we looked at him, okay? And then after the Holy Spirit, what did we look at last time? Angels. Remember? Angels, good angels, and the bad angels, what we call the fallen angels or demons, and the head of who is... Satan. So we looked at the fact that we do have an enemy, church, and he has many names. He has many names, and there are things that he does. And of course, we know that Satan is not God. So Satan and his fallen angels uh, are not omnipotent. They don't, they don't know everything. They're not um, omniscient, meaning they don't know everything. They're not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. Okay? They are not omnipresent. They are not everywhere at all times. That is only God. Okay? But we do know that God created angels... And he uses angels, and maybe some of us even have guardian angels. We could probably make a case for that in the Bible, and that would be nice. But angels always point us back to Jesus. Okay? So we are never to worship angels or pray to angels or anybody else other than Jesus, because anytime you see an angel appear, they are usually proclaiming a message. That's what they do mostly. And they are God's helpers, but they are helping God to do what God wants them to do. They are not doing of their own. Okay? And so we looked at angels and demons, and so another character in the story. And so today, actually, we're looking at the last character in the story. Now, it doesn't mean that it's the least, but you know who that is? That's you. Did you know that you're in the Bible? Yes, you are. You are in the Bible. Because as believers, together we are called the church, and we see all about us in the New Testament. But we know that God had a plan and a purpose for us even before um, he sent Jesus to this earth. But we are going to look later on, we're going to look at what does it mean to be the church. That's ecclesiology. Okay? But today, we're specifically looking at what we call anthropology, and that means the study of humanity. What does it mean to be a human? And some of you walked in here saying, man, I need to know because I don't even know what it, I don't even know what it means to be human anymore. Sometimes we kind of lose track, right? But specifically this, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Because anthropology looks at origins. It does look at evolution versus creation. We're not going to look at that today. It actually talks about the fall of humanity. That's actually next week when we talk about sin. Make sure you show up for that one. Okay, that's important. That's the day everybody's going to call in sick. I can't, I can't come to church today, Pastor. Who wants to learn about sin, right? 
As people say, you know, uh, uh, there's an old saying in church that, you know, you can't get people saved until you get them lost. So you kind of need to know, right? But anyway, so what our focus today is as we look at uh, anthropology, again, there's so much more in every one of these topics that we can cover on a Sunday. Today, our focus is going to be from Genesis 1, it's verses 26 to 28, and a few other scriptures, where God says that he made us in his image. So that's such a profound statement. We have to understand the implications of that, church. What does it mean? What does it mean? This is something that theologians have, they have studied and poured over the scriptures for centuries, centuries, for millennia, and still quite can't, you know, can't quite come to a conclusion or a consensus as to exactly what that means. But yet there are some clear-cut implications and applications for us. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. Simply, what does it mean that we're creating the image of God and why does it matter? Does that make sense? That's what we're going to look at. So, you know, um, uh, you know, my son Luke, he's not here today, uh, but he, um, a lot of people think that he looks like me. And uh, people have said that he walks a lot like me. Like if we're walking together, they say, oh, you have the same gait, like the same kind of walk, you know, same kind of funny little walk and, and uh, that he looks like me. And, he, and, and you know, he, he, got, he has glasses like I do, the same kind of glasses and a little bit different style, you know, but um, our hair is a little bit the same and the same facial features. And, you know, so people look at him and say, yo, yeah, yeah, I can see you. You're definitely, you're definitely Keith's son. We can see you in that, you know, and, and, and that's very common, isn't it? It's very common. It's sort of just a, 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 not a profound statement. But we know that children most often will look just like their parents. And there's many features that you take after. I mean, how do you look like your, your mother or father? Maybe you have their ear. And maybe you have their voice. You sound like them. My, my, sound, my, my son sounds a lot like them. You ever notice, like, you call people you haven't seen in a while, their kids, and they answer the phone. You think it's the adult, but it's actually the kids because they sound just like them, right? Because you kind of take on some of their characteristics. Well, maybe it's your nose. My dad's not here today either, but he always jokes around that I got his nose, and he always apologizes. He says, I'm sorry for that. So I'm sure you can think about certain physical traits that you inherited from your parents, and some of them you're grateful, and others you're just like, I can't believe you gave me that, you know? But yet there's also this interesting thing, and I'm not sure that, that Claudia and I have noticed it yet, but perhaps you, you understand this, that there is sort of this phenomenon in that married couples begin to look like each other as they are married for a long time. Did you ever notice that? Now, there's some married couples here that actually are just looking straight ahead, and they don't want to acknowledge that, right? They don't want to acknowledge that. But you know what I'm saying is true, right? There's something about that. We've all heard that or recognized it. You see a married couple, especially if they're married a long time, and you kind of notice you probably don't even want to say it to them, right? I mean, what woman wants to hear that they they look like their husband, right? (laughs) But there's something to that, that married couples, especially married a long time, they begin to look like each other, sort of, you know, sharing an image. And psychologists actually believe that part of that is because you spend so much time together, you begin uh, subconsciously to mimic each other's facial expressions. You kind of smile the same way, laugh the same way, you know, in a sense, like, and so you develop the same kind of wrinkles in the same places, like on your face, you know? And so there's something to that, that you begin to kind of look like each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not good news for some of you, but it kind of is a thing, you know. 
But I think it's also this. As you spend time with each other, like that's one perspective. But from the, the, the viewer's perspective, from your friends and your family looking at you, they always see you together. You know what I mean? Like usually with a married couple, you think of them together. And you talk about them together because they're always together. Especially if you've been married a long time, decades and decades, you kind of see them together. So you think of one and you automatically think of the other. So in our mind's eye, we are kind of like putting them together as one person. You know? And so they, they begin to take on different traits of each other. So for, for, for children, you kind of have that image of your parents, your image bearers in a sense. But then even as married couples, you kind of share that image. But did you know the Bible says that all of us here look like God? Did you know that? Now, here's what we're going to break down. Does it mean physically? Does it mean God has a body? What does it mean that God said he'll create us in our image? We know what it, being in somebody's image, we know what it means like in an earthly sense, but what does God mean and what does it mean for us? So that's what we're going to look at today because that is a huge part of Christian anthropology, looking at the study of us as humans being made in the image of God. So we're going to talk about things like how we are created beings, how God created us, He created us male and female. It says we're going to look at that scripture in Genesis 1. We, uh, throughout scripture, it says that we as humans have a body and soul and spirit. Are are we two or are we three pieces? Do you ever think about that? How many pieces am I? Right? We're going to look at what that means. Um, We have been created to have dominion over the earth. It's in our scripture today too. So that's an important part of us being created in God's image. Uh, and then also some important ramifications. It means that we have value. And it means we have worth. And it means that, that we should live with dignity, thinking of ourselves and also being dignified with others. So it, it, it directly affects how we treat other people, doesn't it? Think about that. If, maybe if nothing else from today, you take that as a, as a takeaway. If we believe in uh, the truth that we are created in God's image, then it has to affect how we treat other people. Because it doesn't just say that only Christians were created in God's image, or just men or just women. It says male and female, all humans, somehow reflect the image of God. So every person that you meet is an image bearer in some way. But here's the thing, church, that image has been tainted and that image has been marred we're going to look at more of that next week but that's an important part of what that means so let's kind of go through that and see what it says but let's start with the scripture genesis 1 26 to 28 we need to remember first who god is remember we, we talked about um theology proper the study of god the father and here in genesis 1 it's a great reminder genesis 1 26 to 28 it says Then God said, let us make man, meaning mankind, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And we stop right there. And then he continues on. 
But I'd like to stop right there. And God bless them. How about that? That's a great opening, right? And so we know, we know that the story of creation, we're familiar with that. But that final part of creation, God creates humans. But he says, let us make man in our image. And we'll talk later about the, the Trinity. We talked a little bit about that when we looked at the very beginning of our study. But we see even a case for the Trinity right here, don't we? When God the Father says, let us make man in our image. That's in the Hebrew, that's a plural word. But he says, in our image, after our likeness. Now, there's always been debate about those words, image and likeness. Uh, but we can say this. It seems pretty safe to say that in the Hebrew language, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so Genesis is part of that, that image and likeness are pretty similar. Okay? Uh, they're pretty similar. And so we can see that he's not trying to make any kind of significant distinction, but we are made uh, in his image and after his likeness. Okay, and so that's important. Then he says that let them have dominion, all right, which means what? Authority. That's an important part of us being created in his image. So remember, Genesis is part of the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. It was written by Moses to whom? To the nation of Israel. Okay, so Israel needed to have an identity because God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he created a people for himself, right, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name, we talked about it last week, changed after he wrestled with the angel, changed to Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel, God's chosen and special people, okay? And so this, this book of Genesis, if you think about it, we put it into context, was written by Moses, okay? Of course, after all these events happened. But he wrote this for the people of Israel so they would have an understanding of their identity. But it's also, of course, applicable to us today, isn't it? In 2019, almost 2020, that we were made in his image. So let's look at a few things. I mean, God created everything, so that means he controls everything. So there can't be other gods because he was the first one. God is the one who gave the law through Moses. And one of those laws we know in the Ten Commandments says, don't make any graven images. Remember that? That God would say, don't make any graven images, just worship me. Worship is to be, in that spiritual sense, we don't need a golden calf, right? But even to say, why create others when I am the one true and only God? But also this, think about this, why else would God say, don't make any graven images? Because we are made in his image. See, we are his representatives. That's the whole point. But we also know that God loves and redeems his scarred and marred creation. Okay? Because when we see the fall of Adam and Eve, which again we talk all about next week, we know that immediately God promised a redeemer. And he said, what I have made perfect has been tainted and is broken. And I will send a redeemer to make it all good. But yet we are still, from that day forward, we are still created in his image, even though that image has been tainted. But that is why we need a Messiah and why we need a Savior. And we're actually going to end our time today around the communion table, remembering what needed to happen uh, through our Messiah, Jesus. So the first thing is we see from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, who God is and that he created us in his image. So here's something to consider when we talk about 
uh, us as human beings. So what are the different facets of us as human beings? I talked earlier about being created in an image and we have different body parts and all that, but we have a material part of our body, right? Like the the, the substance, the, the part that we see. And most of us are just like, we have too much of that. See what I'm saying, right? Especially after Thursday, I know we're still eating leftovers. We have, we have decided to, that to, today would be the last day of leftovers. Because you ever notice, like, you, have, you put the leftover trays in the fridge and the aluminum foil starts to shrink. It doesn't cover it so well. And you're like, it still tastes good. But after a few days, you're just like, I think that's it, right? I need to go back to eating regular. Um, but, you know, but here's the thing. We have physical bodies. It's obvious. We have physical bodies, but we know that we don't live forever because we live in a broken world because of sin. And so the perfect image, the perfect man and woman that God created, Adam and Eve, right, was no longer perfect after sin. And so our bodies break down and we catch colds and we have diseases. And there's all kinds of stuff that remind us that this is not a, the perfect world that God created. And one day we will receive those glorified bodies. Well, and there's a reason they're called glorified, and I'll talk about that later. But here's the thing, church, and again, when we cover this on a Sunday morning, there's only so much we can look at, and, and I hope that, that this series and all the notes you're taking will, will help to encourage you to go back on your own time during the week and do some further study. Dig a little deeper. Right? Open up your study Bible. Look at some of the notes and do some research. Compare Scripture against Scripture and go a little bit deeper than we can. But here's the thing. I think to make it simple, we know that we have a material body, right? the material part of our human being. But we also have an immaterial part, a part that you can't see. right? The Bible talks about the heart. And back then, they, they believed the heart is kind of what we think of the mind now, like the seed of everything, of intellect and emotion, right? We know we have a physical heart that pumps blood, but in the Bible, it talks, every time, almost every time it uses the word heart, it's talking about the center of, like, the personality. We know that we have emotions. You can't see the emotion. You can see how it's expressed often, right? We have intellect. We have this idea that, most importantly, we can connect to God. It says in Ecclesiastes that, that, that God has put on our heart, right, the, the, the idea that we are made for more. I'm kind of paraphrasing. He has put eternity on the hearts of men. So we have this innate thing that God created in us that we are meant for more and that we can connect with, a, with our maker. That's like the immaterial part. So in the Bible, it, call, it talks about soul and it talks about spirit. And so there are some... Bible scholars that believe that we are three parts, body and soul and spirit, and others that say soul and spirit go together. It's the soul slash spirit. And I kind of find, I I think there's a good middle ground here. It's been said often, and I think this makes the most biblical sense, that we don't, as humans, have a soul. We are a soul. Does that kind of make sense? You see throughout Scripture, now, <clears throat> there's some other Scriptures that might make it a little bit more difficult to follow that, but I think it's the best way to see how God has designed us. That we are a soul, and the soul has to do with salvation. We talk about saving souls. We talk about souls as a person. If you ever hear about, like, talk about on a ship, like how many souls on a ship, I think they still do that. Isn't it interesting? Let's talk about like how many people on the ship, how many souls on the ship. So here's the thing. Let's look at it this way. The soul is a way to describe the whole human being. 
material and immaterial. But then you have the body and you have the spirit. So it kind of makes sense. You have the soul because we, we are a soul. Let's look at that. We are a soul and our souls are made up of body, material, and then spirit, immaterial. Okay? So we are a soul. I think it's the easiest way to remember that. Again, dig, dig deeper and look at it. But we, of course we know at the very least we can all agree we are material and immaterial. But it is our spirit, church, that connects us with God. You know, it says in in the Psalms, renew a right spirit in me. It says we've been given a new spirit, right? And when it says new life, new spirit, you become a believer. You don't wake up the next day and look different, right? Sometimes we wish, man, I wish I did, but we don't. We look the same physically. But see, we have a new spirit. Why? Because God is spirit. And that, now, we are not spirit like God, but we have a spirit, okay? We have a spirit, and that spirit allows us to connect with our maker, Right? And so spiritually, we have been made new. That's what Scripture says. In salvation, through Jesus Christ, through the shedding of His blood, spiritually, we are renewed. We are new people. Okay? That is how we as sinful human beings can be reconnected to a perfect and holy God because our spirit has been made new, has been washed clean by the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? So our spiritual part of ourselves, of our soul, if we are a soul and we have a physical body that helps us to live on this earth, and then we have a spirit that connects us with God, then we are a soul, okay? Material and immaterial. But most importantly, remember, now God gave us both, so we are to to take care of our material bodies. This is the, the vessel, the jars of clay, the jar of clay that God has given us for this time, for as long as he should choose. But, um, but we know that spiritually speaking, we have an immaterial part, and that is the part that allows us to connect with God. We have minds. He gave us an intellect that we can think. Right? We know that we can reason. We know that we have morality. See, again, scholars for, for centuries have tried to figure, what does it mean to be creating the image of God? How is it that we are different from all the rest of God's creation? All the, from all the rest of, how about the animals, right? People say, well, the animals, they have intellect, they have brains, they do. They can, maybe they can reason, they can figure things out, we've seen that. Do they have morality, right? Meaning, do they know right from wrong? Well, it depends on who you ask and how you define it. So we don't want to get so, like, picturing how we do that. But let's make sure we understand this. That we know that we are the, and this is most important, we are the only part of God's creation that is created in his image. So in the word of God, it says that we as humans, right, the final part of his creation, some called the crown jewel of his creation, that we alone are said to be created in his image. And that should mean so much to us, church. That should really help us so much to recognize that we have value, that we have worth, that we can find dignity in this life and treat others the same way. Because we are made in his image. It is so important. And I think we, we, we tend to gloss over that and skip over that. We're going to get back to that in our application. So another thing, you know, it says that we are created to have dominion. Because he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Over who? The fish, the birds, the livestock, the earth. Every creeping thing, even that little spider that crawled down a few weeks ago next to me, remember that? 
You know, I realized after I was driving home from church that day that nobody else could see that spider except for me. So all you saw was some crazy man, like, waving. But even that spider is part of God's creation. You ever meet somebody that you step on an ant and they say, don't step on it. It's God's creation. But it says that we are to have dominion. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Think of any bug that you don't like, okay? Dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock and every creeping thing. And so what does that mean? Why is it important? Listen, God did not give any other of his creation authority or dominion. They all have a a place and a purpose. The sun and the moon have certain powers, right, that God gives them. They do certain things and they affect us. But we alone as humans, as God's creation, have been given dominion. What does dominion mean? It means authority. So who else has authority but God? So God, of course, is supremely sovereign, and he has ultimate authority over everything, even our enemy, Satan. We looked at that last week. But he says, we're going to create humans in our image, meaning the Trinity. God's going to create us in his image. And he says, we're going to give them dominion. So he created this earth as a place for us to live, to have dominion. And that was the whole scheme of our enemy that we looked at last week. What did Satan come to do? He came to usurp that authority, church, to take away that right of dominion. See, now that's why he is called the God of this age or the ruler of this age until Christ returns for his church and then comes back fully to establish his kingdom and bind Satan and finally defeat him. We know that Satan has a measure of rule over this earth. It was supposed to be us, see? But sin marred that. Because we are created in the image of God, but that image has been tainted. But through Christ, that image is being restored. Amen. So, we have been given dominion, and I believe that that is an important part, an aspect, of us being created in God's image. That we have that authority. So we are to be good stewards, as we say, good managers good caretakers of what he has given dominion uh, to us over our bodies, our physical bodies, and the world around us. And, of course, other people. How do we care for other people? So, what happened to this image? Again, sin at the fall of Adam and Eve, it marred that image, and God um, banished them from the Garden of Eden, from perfection. We are still made in his image. But it is, in a sense, we could say it is veiled because of sin. But in redemption through Jesus Christ, that veil is removed. God removes that veil. And now our image is being restored. Fully restored when he returns. That's what I mean when we say the glorified bodies. That we are fully restored into that perfect image. See, we are not yet perfect. Right? You may think that you are, but you are not yet. The Bible says so. But yet in Christ, spiritually, right, our image is restored. We are created in God's image, every human being. But that image has been marred and tainted and scarred because of sin. But Christ is the one who comes back to make it all new. Okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And uh, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, in Christ... We have this new spiritual self, but we know 
that through the, that word sanctification, meaning every day until Christ returns, we are to become more and more like Christ, right? Dying to the old self, putting on that new self, so we look more and more like Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.10. Uh, and um, I think I... Colossians 3.10. Maybe that's the one I just read. I, maybe I doubled it up. But that's okay. We're going to look at that one. And I put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the images of Creator. See, but he, how do we get that? Renewed how? In knowledge. So that's why we started this whole series with the Scripture. So we see what does the Scripture say about who we are? See? And that we are created in His image. We are certainly created in the image of God, but we have been corrupted and we are fallen and we have been defaced, as we can say it, in this image. But through the redemption in Christ, we have put on the new man, Scripture says. Uh, this truth shapes us. It shapes our understanding of life, of all of life. How about this as an application or an implication of this tremendous truth? What about the sanctity of life? You know, we often talk about the abortion issue. We talk about what do we believe as, as Christians? What should we believe in? And how do we vote on that and all of that? What I'm here to just tell you today is simply this. God values life. And every human being ever born is creating God's image. And we would even say that before birth, we would say at that moment of conception, I would say, what the Bible says is that you are a human being. And God, I'm going to read this in a second, that God knew you and formed you. We are created in God's image. It's not just the body. So before that body is even born. So church, we talk about this as Christians. What do we believe about the sanctity of life and the dignity of all human beings? Where does it come from? It comes from this, from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. That's where it comes from. That we believe we are created in God's image. Not just Christians, but all human beings. So therefore, if that's true, and if you believe that, Shouldn't that affect how you treat each other and even people you don't know in all of God's creation? Shouldn't that mean that we should, we should believe in the sanctity of all life and that we should, we should live with dignity in ourselves and towards others because we are made in His image? Think about this, church. What would this country, what would our world look like and I think we're moving in this direction, unfortunately. Scripture foretells it. But moving in this direction where we are getting away from more and more the understanding, just this common understanding that we are made by God in His image. So what happens to a society when they don't believe anymore that we are made in God's image? Where do we find our worth? And where do we find our value? Just in, in how much money you can make? And how smart you are, and how well spoken you are. Uh, yeah, philosophers call it in your capacity, your capacity to to be engaged with the people in the world around you. Well, what does that say for infants and for the aged that that can't think like they used to, or for those that maybe are born and can't speak for themselves? And what does it mean for them? Are we to look at them any less? Is their life does their life have any less value? You see what I'm saying? Do you see how important this doctrine, this theological belief is that we are created in the image of God? It affects our entire world. It affects how we live together in society and how we view each other. 
There's a reason that it says it right at the beginning of our story. It says every, every person is created in the image of God. So understanding this affects how we treat others on every level. Whether it's, you know, we talk about things like our ethnicity and our differences or even race. You ever think about it this way? In many ways we can say there is only one race on earth, the human race. If we look at it from God's perspective, right? If we're all created in His image, beautifully and wonderfully made and so unique and different, we might share traits, but so different and unique that we are created by our Creator. We say it from God's perspective, there is only one race, the human race, all made in His image. See, the reality is still, we are still made in His image, but we have these scars. Do any of you have scars? I don't want you to show them to me right now, but we have scars. Now, it doesn't mean you were born perfect and then you're scarred, but I think our scars are in a way a reflection of that principle, right? Of this principle that, that when we scar something, right? We have a scar on us that, that, that we see ourselves differently. It's not the way that it should be. That's my point. Not the way that it was. But we know the good news is that when God redeems us, he begins to restore that original image. And so my final thoughts on this, and then we'll, we'll have our time around the table together to, to end our service. How are we made in his image? Well, we're rational. We can reason. We are righteous in that morally right. right? So we have morals. We are relational. That's the way we're in God's image, right? Because we fellowship with one another. God, didn't God say, let us make man in our image? You follow me? If we believe in the Trinity, God is saying, not that we, he wants us to be the fourth part of the Trinity. He says he wants, he wants us to enjoy the fellowship. He says, let's make man in our image. We're going to give them dominion. We're going to enjoy fellowship with our creator. Do you see how unique and awesome that is? Right? So that is a way that we are creating his image. Because God had fellowship in the Trinity. And he invites us to enjoy that fellowship. So we are relational. We are not designed to live solitary lives. We, we need other people. We need words of affirmation. Know that we're loved. We need other people to love because we have this innate desire God put in us to love others. So we live in relation to other people. Oh, see, all these things speak to the truth that we are created in God's image. And we are made to rule. So we're rational, righteous, relational, and, and we are made to rule to have dominion. God has authority. He gave us authority o- o- over this earth. And so therefore, it is part of how we're created in His image. So, what are some of the implications of this? This affects how we treat others. James 3. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. That was James 3, 9 to 10. You see what he's saying? The same tongue... You can bless people and you can curse people. But he said it shouldn't be that way. Why? Because he says, because you've all been made in God's likeness. How about that? I think you should write that one down. James 3, 9 through 10. Uh, it's, it affects how we treat ourselves. You know, God doesn't make mistakes. We are created uniquely and specially. Look at Psalm 139. These are familiar words to us. For you formed, uh, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. Do you know that God's talking about you right now? 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were not even any of them. How about that? Can you remember that? Is that awesome? That is our identity, how God created us, how beautifully written that is, and how true and profound it is. That is our God who made us in his image. See, we are to reflect him. No matter who you are, you are, an, you are God's image bearer. It's, it's how you care for others, how you respect and honor others, how you live out and proclaim the gospel for God as a bearer of good news. Another way that we are creating his image, God proclaimed good news because didn't he create everything? And what did he say every day? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Then he created us and he said, it's very good. But it wasn't good that we were alone. The man was alone. He created woman. See, fellowship, relationship. But see, here's the thing. God delivers good news. We are now as Christians, as a church, to deliver good news. We are people of hope. We are representatives of that. We are to reflect God. It's that idea of a mirror. A mirror reflects. A mirror does not create its own image. A mirror does not create its own light. We are mere reflections of the image and the light and the truth that we get from God. See that? We are created in God's image. Not the angels and not the earth, not the animals. We as humans are creating God's image. And we are to reflect the light of God. And we are to reflect his image no matter where we go. Right? Matthew twenty two, seventeen to twenty one. Tell us then, remember the story about the tax paying taxes? What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So that they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, So whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they said. And he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. But to God, what is God? Do you ever think about that? We know that verse and we say, yeah, we've got to pay our taxes. We don't read that in the middle of April, right? We don't like to read that, but it's true. But what else is in there? What else is Jesus saying? Who, whose image is on the coin? It was Caesar. See, they, God saw himself, uh, Caesar saw himself as a God. People were to look at him as a God. And, G, and Jesus says, okay, his, his image is on the coin, so that's his. This coin belongs to him. It's got his picture on it, so you make sure you give it back to him. Well, whose picture is on us, church? God's image is on us. If Caesar's image is on the coin, God's image is on us, because that's who he created us. So what do we do? We give it back to him. Just like we pay our taxes, we give that coin with Caesar's image on it back to him. We take this body and this spirit, our, us as a soul, and we are to give it back to God. Because he stamped his image on us. So what do we do with that? We give it back to him. And how do we do it? We reflect his glory. We reflect it. In all that we do, we are to reflect his truth. And his love, his compassion, his grace his mercy, his character, we are to reflect it to the world. Why does some, now I'm not much of an artist, maybe some of you like to, 
I like music, but I'm not a good artist. I'm pretty good with stick figures. Some of you are maybe a little better. Some of you are artists. But, you know, you can appreciate a good work of art. But if somebody draws, like, a portrait of somebody, why they do that? Well, it's like an image, right? It's a picture. It's a portrait. It's an image of that real person. There is a real, you know, material person that is represented in that portrait or that picture. But they do it so that people can see it. I mean, you go to a museum, an art museum, and there's all these portraits hanging, and people can see forever what the Mona Lisa looks like, or whatever. So forever we're going to see that person. So that's why maybe an artist would create a portrait or an image of somebody. Somebody that is real now has an image of them that people can see, right? Because you can't go see that person if they create an image of whoever, right, a famous person. You can't go physically see them. I mean, you can, but you're not going to go do that all the time. But you can look at a picture. You can look at an image. Is that what God did? God created billions and billions and billions of his image to be on the earth to do what? To represent him. To reflect him. So that's why this truth is so important that we understand that we are made in his image. And all that that means, because God said, you are my representatives on this earth. Right? And who was the greatest representative that he ever sent? That was Jesus. Jesus Christ himself. See, Jesus said, whoever sees the Father has seen me. Did you read that? He said, whoever has seen the Father has seen me. Why? Jesus was the only perfect representation, see, of God. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was the only one that lived a perfect life. So therefore, he is the only one who is capable of dying for us. And he is the reason that we now end our time together around this table. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. We might call it the breaking of the bread. But this is something that Jesus himself told the church to do. Why? Because it helps us remember him. It is a way to remember. It says right in the front of our table, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because that's what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Basically, he was saying to his disciples, he said, you know what? The church that you are now going to lead and and I'm going to create through you for generations until I return for you, you should do this to remember what I have done for you and to remember all that it was cost. But see, Jesus is that perfect representation of the Father, the image, the light bearer. All we do is reflect it, see? Because we're not God, we're not Jesus. But we are called to be his disciples and to be his followers as believers, right? And that means, what do you do if you're a follower of somebody? It means you represent them. And it means you want to be like them. And so therefore, church, let's remember that today. That we are image bearers. God created us in his image. And all that that means, it means how we treat others. How we look at ourselves. But it also really informs what we are about to do. Because we remember what Christ had to do on our behalf, the only one who was perfect, the perfect Lamb of God, was the only one who could die on our behalf. So that's what we remember here. So I'm going to pray for our bread and for our cup. Then the elements are going to be passed to you, first the bread, then the cup. As you hear the music play, just reflect on that, would you? As you hold the bread and you, you hold the cup, 
And then as everybody has the elements, we'll, we'll take and eat together. I'll lead us to do that. But would you take that time while you're waiting for that to, to reflect on the fact that you're made in God's image? And now as believers, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus for salvation, that you say, what does that mean for me even more so that I am to reflect the light of God, the light of Jesus? He says we are to be salt and light. See, salt preserves, doesn't it? And salt helps to heal, and God has put us on this earth as a preservative in a way. But it also helps things to taste good, that we are to be attractive to others. Why? Because they see God's image on us. And we are to be light, like a city on a hill, reflecting, not our own light. We don't generate our own. It's his light. Amen? Let's pray for this. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup and all that it means and all that it represents. God, you have called us, uh, Jesus, you have called us in in, in, um, the Last Supper. You have given us a model of what to do. And you said that we are to do this until you return. And so we're doing it out of obedience, and we do it out of love, and we do it to remember. To remember the freedom that we have in Christ, that it was free to us, a free gift, but it cost you, Jesus, everything. So would you now bless the bread and bless the cup that we may take it appropriately that we may take it as believers in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, that only name we pray, amen.